if you've yet to connect with us, either uh, here or online, I'd love you to do that. You can email me if you're at home, rich at allsaintsworcester.org.uk. I'd love to make contact. And if you're here today and we've never spoken, I'll be in the courtyard at the end, and you can come say hi. It'd be great to meet you. Now, um, I've got some props this morning, just to keep it real. So um, the first one, it's all been risk assessed, don't worry. The first one is this knife, which I stole from the kitchen at the back, because today we're talking about technology. And Paul, my friend, is just going to put up on the screen a picture of a knife. Can we see that? Uh, it doesn't look like a knife. It looks like a rock, because actually this is one of the oldest bits of human technology that we're aware of. It's one and a half million years old. It's from the Olduvai Gorge in Tanzania, and, uh, which is East Africa. And if you know anything about anthropology, you'll know that's what they call the cradle of humanity. That's now in the British Museum, which is where I saw it first. Just to give us a bit of context to the technological world that we find ourselves in, it's not a new challenge for us. Now, between then and 1370, technological advances were pretty steady and significant. Things like wheels... I mean, can you imagine discovering the wheel? That's great, isn't it? Who invented the wheel? We've got no idea. We'll find out in the fullness of time, I'm sure. Paul, you can drop that slide for now, just so that people at home can um, still see us. That's great. Um, technology, hey? It's powerful. Wherever you are, welcome. Um, then something shifted in 1370. Anyone know what happened in 1370? The first public clocks were installed in market squares. The first one was in Cologne, second one a month later, we're told, in Paris. And that marked a shift in our relationship with time. This gift of the clock, technology, invention, wonderful, actually changed things. Prior to that, we had a relationship that, with time that was set by nature. So there's morning and night, there's four seasons, the earth rotates on its axis every 360-ish days, etc., etc. And then suddenly sh something shifted with the clock. We started to measure time. And with the, the ability to measure time, we started to measure human productivity, and we started to be de deriving our identity more and more from what we could do in fixed amounts of time. And we know that today is the nine-to-five culture, don't we? Although anyone who technically has a nine-to-five job will tell you it ain't nine-to-five, right? Dolly Parton was profound on that, I think. Now, ironically, these clocks were invented by monks to punctuate time so that the people of God would remember to step back from what they were doing to produce and to create, to actually be with God and to rest and to pray. It wasn't meant to do the thing it ended up doing. Now, fast forward to 1879. Thomas Edison invents the light bulb. This is one from the back. It's one of those original filament ones, not the kind of new LED ones you can get in Ikea, etc. He invented the light bulb, and the effect of that was also profound. On one level, suddenly we've got the gift of light even when it's dark. But what we know is that people's, the amount of sleep people got started to reduce drastically. 150 years ago, people on average got, one, sorry, got 11 hours sleep a night. 11 hours a night. How's that going? Put your hand up if you're in the room and you got 11 hours sleep last night. You did. Glory to you. Um, I can tell you, I lose about that much every week because of being an early bird and everyone else is up late and all of that stuff. And that, um, that's a massive impact on our humanity. Tech is good, but it presents challenges for us. 
All of that stuff, the electricity and the light bulb and the industrial revolution, fueled, of course, another surge in technological development, which gave us things like aeroplanes. How wonderful. Gave us things like computers. I remember my father coming home with a ZX Spectrum 84. Did anyone else have one of those? It was this epic little game console, and you loaded a uh, game off a tape. Um, and if anyone came in and shut the door, it would crash. And you had to start all over again. But at the time, it was like groundbreaking. We were the cool kids because we had a ZX84 Spectrum. Now, of course, more recently, we've ended up with something called the internet, which is profoundly important for us all. Then, on the 29th of June, 2007, the first iPhone was introduced. This is an iPhone 12, but the iPhone 1 came out in 2007. And we now all carry around in our pockets, effectively, infinity, don't we? You can connect with anybody and anything from this device. I find it fascinating that there's more tech in uh, even the iPhone 1, never mind the iPhone 12, than there was in the Apollo rocket that took people to the moon. Would you trust this to get you to the moon and back? Probably not. Uh, but those guys got in a little box and off they went. Technology is this wonderful thing. And the phone particularly has had a massive effect on our culture and on our society and therefore on us. I don't want to just single out the phone today, but I do want to highlight the fact that this particularly represents so much of why technology is both a gift and a massive challenge to us. Why do I say all of this? Well, because technology, as I've been trying to say, shapes our world, impacts us massively as humans. And actually, those of us who follow Jesus particularly, but all of us, if we want to have a healthy human existence, if we want to flourish in this world, we have to negotiate and renegotiate regularly our relationship with technology because it is both a gift and at times a real curse. And so the question this morning is, how can we become tech-wise, as one writer calls it? We have these huge possibilities presented by technology. Many of us work in the tech sector. If you've had your vaccine or two vaccines, that is the gift of technology. Science is wonderful. But we also know there are some massive challenges. Things like the dark web, where criminals get away with all sorts. There's the both and of all of this. How often... Do you find yourself in a situation that everyone around you is on their phone? This is a picture coming up of the tube. Everyone's on their phone. You might find yourself looking around at cafes and restaurants. Everyone's on their phone the whole time. We're glued to these things. We've got an addiction problem. Just before we get too quick to bemoan this, here's a photo from the 1930s, a commuter train. Everyone going to work reading the newspaper. Part of that is because this allows us to do what the newspaper did, which is to escape the moment. We're not very good at coping with the overwhelm of our emotions and, and the pain often going on inside of us. So we, we need something to escape to. I know, certainly as an introvert, I can too easily use this little black box to escape the moment and forget that there's people around me who need me. And maybe you can relate to that. Um, I find myself kind of on some days just thinking, God, why did you invent WhatsApp? You know, when someone adds me without my permission to another WhatsApp group, I'm like, what is going on? And yet, at the same time, imagine trying to organize your life without WhatsApp. And if you don't know what WhatsApp is, glorious freedom. Enjoy it. Don't ask. Just, just carry on. Or the paradox of Zoom, as I call it, which is, you know, I'm both simultaneously so thankful to God for it. And at the same time, I wish I never had to go on another Zoom call in my life. 
If you're under the age of 25, some of you in the room are, you are what sociologists call a digital native. You've only ever known a digital world. You've got no idea what it was to grow up pre-internet, pre-smartphone. David Kinnaman, who writes about these things, talks about our cultural context as a digital Babylon. We are people of God called to live differently in and for the world, but we're living in a digital form. And so much today of our world is shaped and formed by technology. In the olden days, it used to be tech that you could pick up and put down. You could identify and isolate it. But now it's in everything. It's all around us. And we are completely dependent on it. All of us, to some degree or another, are struggling with it. There's what's called digital distraction. We all have that. And there's what's called digital addiction, which some people have. Professor Jean Twenge from the University of San Diego, she's done extensive research on this. She has particularly been interested in millennials, so that's anyone roughly under the age of 29. And she's saying there's a direct causal link between the surge in mental health, uh, ep the epidemic of mental health in that generation, anxiety and depression, and the introduction of the smartphone. She said it's not a dot to dot line, it's a direct straight line. Uh, which is why it's interesting, our, two of our kids go to a school where on the way in they have to turn their phones off and they're not allowed to turn them on until they leave because they know the phone is a problem. It's a gift and a problem. Now, we could spend hours, couldn't we, talking about the benefits of tech, the wonderful things it does for us, as well as all of these challenges. That's for another time, maybe in your midweek groups. What we want to do today in the time we've got left is simply say, how do we as the people of God negotiate and renegotiate regularly our relationship with technology? How do we get tech-wise, or what one writer calls digi-tech-wise? How do we work that out? First, before we do that, let's go to the scriptures. What do the scriptures have to say to us? And on one level, you can't kind of go through your app on your phone, there you go, and find, you know, Bible verses about smartphones, because they weren't around just to remind you. But there are two things that we can see. The first is, and this is really important, the ability to create and to invent and make things like technology is a God-given gift. It's part of how he's wired us. He's made us to bear his image in and for creation unto the renewal of all things. It makes sense that God who creates makes us able to create. And so all the way through the scriptures, we see this, Genesis 4. Cain builds the city. Genesis 4, Tubal Cain makes things out of bronze and iron. Noah builds an ark in Genesis 6. We're still only in the first book of the Bible. Look what they've created. Extraordinary. King Solomon and the people of God, they build an extraordinary temple in 1 Kings 6. Jesus was a carpenter. He made furniture. He created things with technology. Paul used letters to share the gospel. And church history tells us that we're often at our best when we harness tech. Martin Luther used the fact that the printing press had been invented to trigger the Reformation. And now we're trying to use the internet to connect gospel truth with people's lives. They're just a few examples. The best one, I think, is in Exodus chapter 31. Some of you will know this story, which is um, the Lord says to Moses, and this is talking about, again, God's people creating something. I've chosen Bezalel. Son of Uri, the son of Hur, the tribe of Judah. And notice this, verse 3. I filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, 
with knowledge and with all kinds of skills. Why? Verse 4, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. God's Spirit anoints people to make things, to make things, to invent things, to design things. That's part of what it is to be human. And the people of God, we need to be at the forefront of this, doing that in such a way that with God's help, we're creating things that bring life, bring healing, help alleviate suffering. That's what doctors and medics are doing all the time, trying to work out. In fact, there's someone here who's doing that. I won't embarrass him, but that is part of God's call. And so it's really, really important we know that. But at the same time, the scriptures tell us, don't they, that these things can be problematic. The obvious example I came up with, I guess, was Genesis 11, where the people of God build this tower, the Tower of Babel, in an attempt to actually to be independent of God. So notice this, Genesis uh, chapter 11. There. Verse 3, they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. That's detail. In other words, let's do this really well. They used brick, it says, instead of stone to make it really strong and tar for mortar. And then they said, come, let's build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Technology in our hands for the wrong reason, for the wrong motive, can become this thing that doesn't actually help us connect to God and partner with God. It can actually be the thing that takes us away from God. And fast forward, therefore, to the phone and to our digitech world. This it has the ability to help you connect with God and other people. It has also the ability to do exactly the opposite. The point, ladies and gentlemen, is that technology is not morally neutral. It's, it's amoral, if you like. It's neither overwhelmingly good nor inherently evil, and those extreme ends are problematic. Like lots of the things in our world, it can be used for good, or it can be deeply problematic and can actually take away from our lives. The question is how we use it, why we use it, what we do it with and for. How do we use technology wisely? I love how Andy Crouch, who's written a book which we'll link to in the, uh, the notes that follow tomorrow, uh, talks about this. He wrote a book called The TechWise Family. It's actually brilliant for everybody, whether or not you're in a family. And he says there are five tests for knowing whether technology is in its rightful, proper place in our lives. The first one, he says, tech is in its proper place when it helps us bond with the real people we have been given to love in the reality of our lives. He says it's out of its proper place when connections with people online displace meaningful commitments to people all around us. That's become stark, hasn't it, in the last year, where we've been forced online in all sorts of ways. But this is a chance to reset, to renegotiate our relationship with tech. It is possible to know hundreds of people online through your phone or your devices, but not have anyone around the corner who knows you. We are more connected than ever, but we have more people who are lonely and feeling disconnected than ever. And one of the profound things I think we have as a church in terms of an opportunity going forward is to get back to being in person around the table and doing life and being known and having somewhere where we can go where it's okay not to be okay. And someone looks us in the eye and actually does something with us and for us. The second thing he says is that technology is in its proper place when it starts great conversations. It's out of its proper place when it prevents us from talking with and listening to one another. Have you ever tried to have a conversation with someone on Twitter? If you're on Twitter, and that's within your nicely curated echo chamber. It's impossible. 
right? It's not designed to do that. You can't ultimately have a proper conversation with someone unless you're actually deeply connected with them. Number three, he says, technology is in its proper place when it helps us take care of the fragile bodies we inhabit. Cue medicine, cue science. It's out of its proper place when it promises to help us escape the limits and vulnerabilities of those bodies altogether. There is a link between online addiction and all sorts of physical health issues. Doctors will tell you all about that. Number four, technology, he says, is in its proper place when it helps us, I love this phrase, acquire skill and mastery of domains that are the glory of human culture. So he's a thinker, right? He's a boffin. But what he's trying to say is technology, when it helps us become really good at music and the arts and cooking and gardening and running and all the things that actually we do without tech, then it's a gift to us. So they can help us. But you could too easily follow all your favorite chefs on Instagram and never actually know how to cook. Crazy, right? Says the one who likes MasterChef but can't cook MasterChef standard. When we let technology replace the development of skill with passive consumption, something's wrong, right? Finally, he says, technology is in its proper place when it helps us cultivate an awe for the created world we are part of and responsible for stewarding. It's out of its proper place, he says, when it keeps us from engaging with the wild and wonderful natural world with all our senses. When did you last go for a long walk somewhere with your phone turned off? It's a real challenge for us, isn't it? Andy Crouch goes on to point out that technology is in its proper place only when we use it with intention and care. And what he goes on to say is technology doesn't stay in its proper place on its own. We know that, don't we? So here's the question as we think about being people who inhabit our bodies in this teaching series. How do you and I renegotiate regularly our relationship with tech? Those five questions that Andy Crouch poses, I think, are super helpful. And your homework, if you like, is to go away and think that through. How well am I doing on all of those? Because I could give you a list of things to do, but we've got to own it in here and make our own changes and choices. But one thing I would commend to you, and this is a conversation Kath and I periodically have in our home, is how do we develop a digital rule of life as a family? How do we develop some habits and practices as a family? And we find if we don't keep on them, they slip it's really hard, right? But you're contending all the time for something better than just the passive place you end up with if you don't do that. And particularly if you've got children, you'll know this is hard. They are living in a world where everything is online and everyone wants to do everything. But I can tell you now, they will thank us one day for trying really hard to force them to think carefully about it and actually being the annoying one that won't let them watch that movie because they're not old enough or whatever it is. Simple things like just deciding your phones never go upstairs. Simple things like you don't use it as an alarm clock because it's the first thing you look at in the morning. Turning it off. All of these things are really powerful when it comes to your phone. What about having rooms that don't have a screen in them? What about, what about, what about? Making a digital rule of life together in your household, whatever that is, and holding it, each other to it can be really, really important. That way you start to take control start to be in control of tech rather than the other way around. The goal is always technology helping us to connect with God, helping us to serve one another, helping us to serve the world, not it taking us away from that primary calling. So with that in mind, 
we're going to practice something. I had this idea. I thought this is a great way of showing that we can redeem tech. We can use it really carefully. You'll notice we've not had a time of intercession this morning where we're praying together for the world, for people, for places and problems. What I thought we'd do, if you're up for it, if you're in the room or at home, you don't have to. This is where you get permission to take out your phones and use them in church. How exciting. So if you're here and you're up for this, take your phones out if you've got one. If you haven't got a phone with you, then glory on you and you can pray in another way. But maybe if you've got your phone with you, take, take it out, turn it on, unmute it, whatever it is. And in a moment, we're going to be still here or at home and we're just going to ask the Lord to show us some people that we might text an encouraging prayer to Okay, because we're going we're gonna to all pray together. We're going to be praying for people, but we're going to use this to tell them that we're praying for them. Sound fun? We did it at the nine. Everyone got really into it. I had to interrupt them. It was communion. So um, if you are at home, you can do more than text. You could actually voice message someone. I noticed the other day one of our kids was doing a little video message to her friends. That's how they do it on Snapchat. They just send these little video messages to each other rather than texting, partly because it's quicker, but they, partly because they get to show each other things. I love that. I think it's brilliant. Someone voice messaged me the other day. So nice to hear their voice. They knew I was in a meeting. They just said, I'm just thinking about you. I'm praying for you. da 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 So if you're at home, maybe voice message in a minute. Maybe video message. Maybe jump on FaceTime. No, we haven't finished yet. But if you're here, text message just for now. Okay? So let's be still. Let's pause. See who comes to mind. Because the Spirit of God's doing this all the time, dropping names and faces into us. And sometimes we just need to pay attention to that. And in that moment, use the device in the back pocket to connect them to God and connect with them and God. Okay? So let's be still. Let's pray. Who comes to mind? And then once someone comes to mind, just get out your phone. Dear Sarah, I'm at church. The vicar's gone a bit mad and is inviting us all to play on our phones. I thought I'd text you to say I'm praying for you, thinking about you. It might not be someone who's a follower of Jesus. That's okay. Take the risk. And if you get a picture or a prophetic sense, add that in as well. So let's be still for a moment. And the key here is just go on your instincts. So who's come to mind? Don't overthink it. Just drop them a text. You might need to be careful what you say. But it might be you just think, oh, I've not checked in with them. I wonder how that situation is. I've been praying for that. And in a moment, what we're going to do, once you've texted, is we're actually just going to spend a little bit longer praying for those people quietly. Again, if you're at home, you can do this uh, a bit more easily. You might want to just leave a voice message for someone or uh, you know, whatever. If you've not got tech like this, then get out a pen and a paper, a bit of paper, and write to somebody. Old school. That's still tech, right? So start to just text people as, as you feel able and want to. No pressure, of course. I'm kind of hoping that people who really need encouragement today are going to get loads of text messages from the church. Um, be like, oh, man. And it might be you're thinking, I really wish someone would text me. 
Or maybe just text someone and say, would you pray for me today? I'm actually really struggling and I realized I probably should just reach out. Would you pray for me? Here's what's going on. So you can always send that kind of message as well. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. And if you've sent the message, just quietly as we wait, just start in in the quiet of your heart to pray for that person. What is it that God might want to do? What is it that you know they might be praying for God to do already? What if there's someone you know doesn't actually know God, but you long for them to discover his love? Let's pray. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that you, by your spirit, a more powerful connection than any Wi-Fi or 5G connection can help us hear your heart for people and respond by connecting with a phone because we're not in the same room as them. Thank you. Thank you that we can communicate with people, invite them into a relationship with us and with you. That sense of connections emerged. Both gatherings come out prophetically. God wanting to connect with us, but also wanting us to connect well with each other. This device, our tech all around us, can help us or it can hinder. Let's make good choices. Thank you, God. And so if you're doing that, just keep going. But I'm going to finish by just inviting the Spirit of God just in this moment to help us think about what it means for us to become more tech-wise. And then we're going to sing a final song. Lord, pour out your Spirit on us. Thank you that uh, we can connect with you through your Spirit, Father, that you, Jesus, can speak to us. We ask for wisdom humility and honesty about our relationship with technology. Pray for fresh determination for those of us trying to help our kids make good choices with tech. I pray for those of us who know that we use technology in a way to escape, to find false comfort, help us to come to you. But we also thank you that we're called to use it in extraordinary ways, and so we pray you'd inspire us How can we use technology to grow and develop as a church, as individuals, in the sectors you placed us? That we wouldn't be afraid of it. And for those whose jobs are to use technology to sort and fix problems, we we pray an anointing on them. For those who work in that sector that can be so complicated, pray you give them a real authority to to help others find that balance of using it for good. We thank you that technology means so many people can be with us even if they're not on site. And so those of you at home, thank you. I pray God you'd speak to them at home. Those of you at home know God is with you. Help us to invite people to join us on Alpha Online using technology. Help us to gather next week for thy kingdom come together as the church, even though we're not all in the same place, because technology makes that possible. We pray we'd lean in with confidence and wisdom. Thank you, Jesus. If you're at home, 
or you're here and you're able, let's stand. We're going to sing.